everybody. Okay. I'm nervous. No. My name is Stephanie. Um, I'm going to say my testimony today. So everybody pray because this whole testimony is about uh, my anxiety problems that I used to have that God has delivered me from, but just in case it comes back. <laughs> okay, so I wrote it down in my son's book. I took that and Okay. Because otherwise it could be, we could be here for a long time. So I had to narrow it down. So I'm going to start by saying something from a lyrics from a song that I learned when I was really young, but now it actually means true. Before it was just words, now it actually applies to me. I was once in darkness, now my eyes can see. I was lost, but Jesus saw and found me. Oh, what peace he offers, oh, what love he gives. I will sing forevermore he lives. So this is now, this is truth in my life. So when I was about four years old, my dad, uh, um, me and my dad and my brothers went up to the room and we, we asked Jesus into our hearts. Um, so I grew up in the church. My mom and my dad were going. Uh, they currently, my dad goes, my mom doesn't. But. So I grew up going to church by myself and the church was right across the, down the street from where I lived. So I went um, on my own, would go Sunday after Sunday, um, but never really surrendered my life, just kind of would go and listen, and I knew about God, I knew about what he didn't want us to do, and what to stay away from, but I never really had a relationship with him. Um, so I would go, like, so I would go basically out on Saturday nights and drink and party, and then I'd go on Sunday and be a little bit nervous and embarrassed, but I would be like, oh, whatever. So I kept doing that all my life and thought it was fine. Um... But then I had, it was even something devastating happened. I lost my best friend. He was 18 years old and he drowned it. And that was the beginning of my hate for God. I was so angry and so mad that I didn't want to go to church anymore. I was basically just blamed for everything. Um, so it was like probably a couple years where I would just go, I didn't go to church. And I just kind of did my own thing. I was dabbling in uh, New Age and stuff like that. So I wasn't happy. I was depressed and sad. Um, then I met, so I started going to church a little bit more, kind of just thought, you know what, the way that I'm going isn't really working for me, so I'm going to continue to go to church, but still no relationship, still not, just knew the rules, just kind of played the game at church. Um, basically, then I met, well, so I went to church, and I was a Christian, but I didn't really have a relationship, so I met my husband, his parents coming from a Jehovah Witness home. I didn't know what that meant. I was like, oh, wow, he believes in God, too. So anyways, we, uh, we got married, and he's an amazing man, and, and God is working in his heart, uh, his heart right now. But anyways, so it wasn't until, I didn't have an anxiety at this point. My anxiety started when I got pregnant. Um, I was really not ready for pregnancy. I was, at that time, it was a year after I got married, and I didn't really want kids at that point, like, yet. I was still wanted to do my own thing. But, so I started, one, like, after I was pregnant, I said, okay, this is good, and I would pray a bit, but the anxiety was really, really bad, to the point where uh, I was, didn't want to, like, get out of bed. I lost the child, I lost my, the pregnancy, um, and then I was even so more confused and anxious every day, it wouldn't go, it wouldn't leave me, and I remember praying, like, like God, give me my life back, I'm in the pits of despair, like, I... I'm, every day I would go to work and someone would talk about a tragedy and I would put it on myself and I start to get anxiety attacks as I was doing their hair. And it was, it was really challenging. Um, so I continued to go to church and not really understand who Jesus was in my life. And I got pregnant again. 
and the same thing happened. I would um, have, be having an anxiety attack, and the anxiety attack, I believe, was, a tr was Satan's device for me to get more, to feed more into fear. So as I was having the anxiety attack, I would be praying, I'd be reading my Bible, and the anxiety would come more and more, and I knew that I was going to lose the baby again. So I did. I lost another baby. And, <laughs> sorry, and then I got pregnant again and lost another one. But anyways, that's not, that's not where I'm going to get at. Then, this is when the Lord showed up to me personally, and it wasn't just a story for someone else, because I did grow up with really low self-esteem. I grew up going to church, and I would be at a um, seminar, and everybody would be singing and putting their hands up. And I remember going, that is never going to be me. Like, never. I want it to be so bad. And then I would remember going with my youth group to feed the homeless, and I would see people hugging the homeless and like, being friends with them. And I remember going, I wish that would be me. Which is funny, because what teenager wishes that she would be friends with the homeless? And I did. I wanted, to, I wanted I, but, I, but the Satan was speaking to my heart and my head, saying, you'll never be that. You're never good enough. They're never going to want to be your friend. But that's not true. So, anyways, um, I was uh, depressed and anxious, like, beyond comprehension. I went to, it was a week of when God showed up. And it wasn't just a day, it was like five days where he showed me what was going to happen to me. I was doing a Bible study about um, Hannah. And Hannah was, um, if you guys don't know, she was in the Bible and she was barren. And she would pray all the time to be pregnant. And uh, after, after a long time of being barren, the Lord blessed her with a child, Samuel. So that was the study of the one day. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, this could be, I could be onto something. This could be for me. And it would, it would continue in the study saying about how God has her, her life, and he knew her beginning to her end and what was going to happen. So I claimed that. The next day, I went to Eastridge for a Bible study. At this point, I still was searching, but I didn't really think it was for me. I didn't think that God would love me as much as he did the other people. So then I went, and it was about Elizabeth. And I was like, okay, hey, this is weird. Elizabeth, she was of old age when she was blessed with a child. And so I was like, okay, we're on to something. And then I would do another study, and it would be about a Christian, someone that was, had miscarriages and would get pregnant. So I was like, okay, yeah, this is good. But then, when the, the, where good is happening and where the Lord is working, the enemy will come to destroy and devour. So at this point, I kind of knew New Age a little bit too, and Satan knew that. So he was using the tactics, tactics of a New Age religion to get me. So I was, in the, I was at work one day, and I was doing my client's hair, and she was a, she was a Wiccan. She was at New Age and I was doing her hair, and she looks at me, and she goes, and, and by the way, I was going to name my child Hannah Elizabeth, if it was a girl, because I was like, this is good, this is a sign, I was all excited, I did her hair, and she goes, she looks at me with weird eyes, and she goes, You're, you have a spirit guide, and I was like, no, no, because I already knew at this point, don't listen to the, the lies, and um, she goes, Hannah, and Hannah was the one that was, Hannah Elizabeth was going to be the child. I wasn't pregnant at this point, but I was still praying on God to have a child. And so then I was all depressed. I was like, maybe this isn't of the Lord. Maybe I'm not going to have a baby. And that's what Satan wants. He wants destruction. He wants you to think, you know what, what was for God, it may not be. Well, no, that's not the case. The Lord always closes it with his word and what he wants. The next day I went to work again, sad, thinking this is not going to happen to me. Well, my Christian client, I was doing her hair. This is all in one week. She looks at me and she goes, guess what? My friend just had a baby. And I was like, yay. Because at that point, I wanted one so bad. And I was like, why are you telling me this? She goes, Hannah Elizabeth. I'm not joking. 
So that's the first time when my heart dropped and I said, holy, I get it. This God is my God and he cares about me and he knows my path and he made it known and he always has the last word. You'll see that. Where Satan comes, he finishes it. He says, no way, man. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let him have the last word and discourage you because I was very discouraged after I heard that. But then after I heard Hannah Elizabeth, I knew. Well, I, I um, <laughs> so the next month I was pregnant. And throughout the whole pregnancy, I didn't have any anxiety. The Lord freed me from all anxiety. I have none. It's been seven years. I have no anxiety at all. Nothing. I mean, worry is different, but anxiety is a totally different level. When you have anxiety, nobody who worries says, oh, I worry all the time. Nothing like it. It's a, it's a pit of despair. But the opposite of fear is, sorry, the opposite of faith is anxiety and fear. So when I, really, when I really understood the word of God and I understood that it was for me, not just everybody else, it changed my whole life. And I, yeah, so my son's now five. And uh, throughout the whole pregnancy, it was great. I had no anxiety. I would pray every ultrasound, because, obviously. And I would always pray and just be like, well, the uh, nine months before I was, no, one week before I was due, I went to the doctor's office. They couldn't find a heartbeat. So they were all, like, panicking, and I didn't have any anxiety, which is a miracle. I was, I was shocked. But they, they tried and tried for about half an hour. They sent me to the hospital, and I was white. Jerry went to pick me up, and he's like, oh, no, because I was, like, green. So we went to the hospital, waited an hour, no movement at all, and I remember going to the change room. It was the first time I actually totally said a prayer from my soul, and, like, uh, just desperation. I prayed in desperation that he would be okay, and he started moving, and he's fine, and he, he was born with club feet, but you know what? I didn't even care. At that point, I was like, my husband didn't get it, but I was like, ooh, well. Like, I don't even care if his feet are clubbed. And now they're fine. Now he walks, and he runs, and he jumps, because he didn't even have to be operated on that. He had a cast for two weeks, and that's it, because God has healed him. Yeah. So that's a testimony. There's a lot of different things I, like, that I could speak about another day, about the new age, and how bad that is, and how that's a disruption, and how I see it every day, people coming into my salon, because I work from home now, and that's the Lord also. Move me from the salon to my house, where I minister to people every day. Somebody comes in and says something about new age, or something. That's a big one in this town. There's a store there that everybody goes to. So that's what we gotta start praying about, too, against that, because it is a trickery. Because it's very, some similar things to Christianity, but it's hidden. They, they hide themselves in light, but it's not light. It's darkness. They don't even know. Some of them are blinded. They don't even know. So that's another story. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> Let's pray. Kind Father, thank you for your care for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your work for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for your work in us and through us. May we be agents of good in a culture that desires despondency, desires its own way, is upset no matter what happens. May we be people who would point to the truth of the hope that is in the knowledge of the glory of God. Would you take us and help us to make a difference at our work, in our church, 
on our streets, in the malls, in the stores where we go, where we interact with people. May we be those who can shine some of the hope that so many folks need. And as we begin to think even now of the start of the season of Advent, remind us of the need that there was at that time. There was great darkness and the people cried out for hope. And you answered. And we know the story. Help us not to dumb it down, but to just be clear. We needed help. We called out. You answered. Today, God, I pray that you would speak to me and that you would speak through me. For my friends that are here with me today, God, I pray the same thing, that you would speak to them, but that you would also speak through them. Continue your persistent partnership with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, if you, uh, as you came in, you probably got some notes. So if you want to follow along with what we're doing, you can follow along in the notes that you got, the paper copies. We got some notes that we're going to throw up on the screen here as well. And if you like to use your web-enabled smartphone, tickety-boo, you're in luck. Uh, go to the free app called Uversion. Go to the bottom right corner. There's a section called More. Look under Events. Search into one. And there you go. You can follow along the whole thing. There's uh, all the sermon notes are there. The scripture passages will be there. Uh, we want you to know what we're talking about because I want you to read the rest. We're going to go through a whole bunch today again, and I, and, I, and I can't tell you the whole thing, so I want, I want to reference it so that you can go back and follow along as well. And if you've got your smartphone out anyways, last week I taught you this secret new technique. Um, it's called text to give. And you know what? I forgot to do that today. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm just going to go in, get the right number there, and I'm going to type the number that I want to give, and well, boom. The whole thing is done, just like that. Um, we have envelopes in the back if you'd like to be tax receipted that way. We know there's a bunch of people who give online before they come here, so thanks so much for that. If you would like to participate through the offering, you can do it online. Um, we've got the number up there for you, and there's also the envelopes at the back. You can do that whenever you want to think about it. So fantastic. Here we go. We're in part two of our new series. The new series is called Right in the Eye. We started last week with a humdinger of a story, but not just a story. It also set us up for where we are. It's kind of the introduction, where we are, and then where we're going to go. So the central thing in these series of conversations that we're going to have is the dark underbelly of the North American dream. And that North American dream is that we demand the freedom to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. And then we have, we've added sort of a little footnote that's up there right now, that, that footnote of the fine print is as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. But there's a problem we discovered last week. There's a series of problems, actually. So if you didn't hear last week, man, oh man, are you ever behind? Don't worry. You're not that far behind. And you can also uh, catch up online. You can follow along in the podcast and know what's going on there. But here's a quick summary. When you try to live like that, the I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it with whom I want to do it, if you do that for very long, you're going to wind up hurting somebody. And that might be you. It might be the people around you. But the one that we forget about the most often is the people who come after you. So we took a moment to look at this last week and we were realizing that some of our dysfunctional behaviors, some of our non-social behaviors, some of our weirdness. It's, it's, it's because of what our parents did when they weren't thinking about you. 
Well, they were doing what they wanted, when they wanted, with whom they wanted, and nobody can tell me different. It's nobody else's business. They set in motion things. And so we blame our parents now for things that are a little bit off with us. And we've all picked up a minor in TV psychology, so we're perfectly trained to be able to offer this official diagnosis. It's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. And when when they were doing those things, they forgot about you. They didn't factor you into what they were doing when they were doing it. And they hurt somebody. And now it's your turn to decide whether or not you want to pass that hurt along. And so driving our conversation during this series, we're looking at an Old Testament book, and it's called Judges. And the book contains about 330 years of ancient Israelite history, the time from when they got to the Promised Land. So we have Moses takes them from Egypt, moves them to the edge of the Promised Land, then he dies. Joshua steps up, next leader. He leads them into the Promised Land, then he dies. We get about 330 years, that's the book of Judges, and then we head on to the kingship, the new kingdom of Israel where we get Saul and then ultimately David. Woo-hoo for David. So that's where we are. Uh, and when they were with Joshua, they were fine. Okay? He wasn't a king, but he was the established leader. And that was enough for people to say, I can listen to him, I'll follow him, we'll do what he says. But without him, without him, they got into trouble. And they went through several, actually quite a several, of these cycles. And the cycle looks like this. Disobey God. Disaster comes. Cry out for help, and God would send them deliverance. And then they say, oh, man, we are never going to do that again. And then it would just restart. Just like you and just like me. And last week, we started at the end of the book of Judges, just because I wanted to mess with you a little bit. And at the very end, the very final statement in the book of Judges is this. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king. So everybody just kind of made it up as they went along. I'll just keep doing what I want, when I want, with whom I want, and that will be right for me. And in this case, they didn't particularly care if they hurt anyone. That would also become really obvious if you were here last week and you heard the story that I told. Total, horrible disaster. So that's where we begin. That was last week. The book of Judges ends like a, like a slasher movie meets deliverance. That's sort of what it is. It's awful. It's tragic. It's horrible, and that story is there really just to show us how bad, how far the nation of Israel had fallen, how bad they'd become. It's embarrassing. It was, it was so sad. There are no heroes. It was like a countrywide version of the Red Wedding. There's no redemption. There's nothing good that comes about it except for what it will set up in the books that follow. So today, obviously, if we did the last Last week, we're going to do the beginning this week. So we are at the beginning of the book of Judges. And it's kind of funny to be able to contrast the beginning of the book of Judges with the end of the book of Judges. And so the, end, uh, the beginning of the book of Judges is kind of like the, uh, the last night of church camp. Did you ever go to church camp? Maybe it's also like the first year of Bible college, okay? So if you grew up and you went to a church camp, on the last night of church camp, what do most of the girls do? They cry, absolutely. 
the last night of church camp, it's usually a big deal. And, and everyone has been there for a whole week, and it's been a very focused kind of time. Excellent relationships. This is wonderful. It's nurturing. It's so caring. It's the same sort of thing in Bible school, except the Bible school is actually longer, and it's even more God-focused. And there's a lot of Scripture that's come out, and, and that Scripture has had time and an environment to kind of sink in. And there have been songs, and we sang them together, and it, you know what, it just sounds better when you sing it in one of these places. And there's been lots of teaching, and the teaching is, is also coming clear, and it seems to be highlighting the road ahead. And that road ahead is one that we have had an increasing conviction to change. It's time to make a commitment. It won't be like it was. It's time to give up drinking. It's time to break up with that boyfriend. It's time to patch up things with my parents. It's time to stop sneaking out and smoking behind the garage. It's time to adjust the friendships that are kind of landing and leading me in a bad direction. And at Bible college, I don't know why, but people like to burn things to get rid of them. So I've got to to burn my magic cards, and I've got to burn that music that's a bad influence, and I've got to burn some porn magazines. I've got to change. I've seen a pathway before me, and it's better than where I am, and it's desirable, and that's really where I want to go. And at these points, in these moments, these are sincere commitments. And this is how the book of Judges begins, with Joshua leading the people into the land and reminding them of their commitment to God and his commitment to them. He knows he's about to die, and this is sort of his last chance to remind them of what he said at the beginning of his story, at the beginning of the book of Joshua. He wants to summarize it again. So at the beginning, he basically said, "Um, this day, decide whom you will serve, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then we get the whole book of Joshua, and then here's a quick summary of his speech at the end. So Joshua chapter 24, here's a quick summary. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And this, if you can translate it quickly in your head, this is like code for break up with that boyfriend who's dragging you down a bad path. Stop getting distracted by the evil that surrounds you. Get rid of that bottle of Jack Daniels that you hide under your bed. Get rid of your hidden stash. Get rid of all those things that are polluting your lives. And he gives a very long and a very compelling speech. And then the people respond like this. They say, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us up and our parents out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Don't worry, Joshua. When you're gone, we're going to remain faithful. We know it. We remember it. We remember, we have heard the stories of what it was like to serve Pharaoh back in Egypt. We have heard those stories our whole lives, and we don't ever want to go back to that. We never want to be slaves to a foreign king Again, we have made a decision. God is our king. He has given us the law, and you don't need to worry about us anymore, Joshua. We will never go back to serving a foreign king. We know that God is great. We know that God is good. And we thank him for our food and for everything else. You keep reading a little bit, 
and Joshua kind of calls them out a little bit, and he says, I bet you will. I bet you will go back. And the people respond, oh, no, 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 nuh-uh. And then he says, oh, but I think you will. You think that you're not going to go back. You think that this is going to be easy. You think that you've learned your lesson. You think that you remember the pain and the sorrow and all that went along with compromising God's relationship. But the people said to Joshua, verse 21, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, okay, well, I've warned you. And then Joshua dies. Not like right then, but then Joshua <laughs> dies. The people are in the land, okay? And they, and they went in with God's law, and they go in with a can-do attitude. Yay, God! We're going to keep God's law. We're going to be faithful. And the flowers on Joshua's tomb haven't died when, behold, Judges 2.11, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. And they began to look around. They began feeling discontent about what they have. And they began doing exactly what Joshua warned them not to do. And they did exactly the things that they swore that they would never do. They got home from camp and they went right back to the stuff that they had done before and then they added some new stuff in. Verse 12, they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They started looking around and they said, hey, we want some of that. Why don't we ever get any good stuff? How come everyone else always has better stuff than we do? Hey, I like that. You know what? Everyone else is doing it. This is just the way things work in the land of Canaan. We don't want to be the oddballs here. You know, when in Rome, right? Just go along with the flow. And so they abandoned the invisible king. They abandoned the law of God. And they just immersed themselves in the culture of the Canaanites, right after Joshua warned them, right after they swore, we'd never go back. Finishing verse 12, they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And Ashtoreth is uh, basically just a female counterpart of Baal. The problem with Baal worship um, is not simply that Baal was symbolized by an idol. It was carved and in the, uh, for, the, for the Jews, it's a big, big no-no to have any image that represents God. That's in the Ten Commandments, and so that one's up at the top of their head. But that's not the really big issue. The big issue is that everything that went along with worshiping this male and female deity. And one thing was that when times got desperate, Baal worship required human sacrifice. And when things got extra bad the Canaanites would sacrifice children. And when things got extra double bad, like a drought that won't stop, or enemies on the borders, they would sacrifice multiple children. There was one period of history where they actually required the richest people in the kingdom to lead by having their firstborns sacrificed so they could try to get their God's attention. 
And so God told them, I don't want you to be part of that. I don't want that kind of life for you. I've got something so much better for you. But there you go. The next thing you know, the people of Israel had dipped into this horrible, horrible lifestyle. Go on to verse 14. And in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Jump down. They were in great distress. Basically, God gave them what they asked for. You like the Canaanite lifestyle. You live under my rule as king, and you've learned what that world looks like. That's how you got to the promised land. When, when, when you become like the people around you, they live under the rule of a Canaanite king. And you can experience what it's like to live in that world. I will allow you to be conquered by those you have copied. You abandoned me freely. You embraced their ways freely, but you just lost what was most important to you, your freedom. Don't you remember what it was like in Egypt? You don't. You, you, you don't remember. You weren't there, but you've been told the stories. You've heard the stories your whole lives from your friends and for your relatives. And don't you remember hearing about how excited they were when they finally were able to be free from the authority of a pagan pharaoh that called himself a god? And now you have willingly disobeyed, walked away from God to embrace the culture of the Canaanites. If that's what you want, here it is. And now the next thing you know, they were not conquering the nations surrounding them anymore. They were being conquered by the nations surrounding him. They forsook the Lord. They followed the people around them. They surrendered their freedom. And in the end, here's the point. Here's the point that always slips up on us. Here's the thing that we never see coming until it's too late. Here's the the thing that puts us into this cycle of, I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with whom I want to do it, and ha, I did it. Now I'm doing what I want to do when I want to do it. Uh Uh-oh. Now I'm doing what I thought I wanted to do, and I don't like it. And worse than that, I can't stop. Here's the point here. This is the one that we can carry with us as well. Israel simply traded one king for another. They were no longer able to resist. They willingly walked away from God, and now they found themselves in a place where they could not freely go back. And this is a huge lesson in here for all of us. At some point in your life, there was a time when you thought you're tuned in to know right from wrong. You might have even been able to be tuned into God's version of right and wrong. Your conscience was tuned in. You got it. You understood it. And then at some point, you just decided, well, I'm tired of all this stuff. I just want to do what I want to do. I'm tired of trying to be good. I'm tired of trying to be a Christian. I'm tired of not doing what the people around me are doing. Maybe it was a moment 
Maybe it was more of a, just a gradual kind of progression. You didn't run away, but you walked away. You left it behind while you kept walking in a new direction. And you figured that you were just tired of all this being told what to do. I don't need all those rules and those laws because you know what? I've got a brain. I'm free. I can live this way. You know, I don't need God watching over me. I, frankly, I don't need God at all. All he does is do bad things anyways, right? I don't need some invisible king trying to cramp my lifestyle, taking away my freedom. Frankly, he's never on my side anyways. Like, look at the way things go. Look at the way these other people, look at this and look at that. And then one day you woke up and you realized, uh-oh, I didn't gain freedom. It actually just ended up as a loss of freedom. And the reason is, you just traded one king for another. Heads up, okay? I'm going to say something to you that you might think is offensive. So I'm telling you that in advance. There's your warning. Put away your phones. Don't get outraged on Facebook just yet, okay? You've got a little bit of time. Let me at least finish explaining it. You were created. That means there is a creator, which means you weren't created to be your own king. Now, this idea, this idea is not going to sell in Hollywood at all because they've already told us that the simple thing to do is just demand more. And if that doesn't work, you blow stuff up. That's how you get to be in control. That's how you get to be the person who's in the number one. That's how you get to self-actualize yourself when you're actualizing. But here comes the offensive part. You were created to be ruled over. Which means when we say no to one king, we always choose another king. There's just no such thing as absolute and total autonomy. I know that everyone kind of wants it, but it's, it's a destination you just cannot arrive at. It's all part of that North American dream that lives around us all the time. But you just can't be completely autonomous. You were created to be ruled. And when you say no to the creator king, you simply choose a different king. For example, how about some of these little kings that we've become to know so well? These all display the I want what I want when I want it with whom I want kind of idea. And one day you say, God, I'm just, I'm tired of wrestling. I'm tired of saying no. I'm, I just want to give in to this temptation. I'm tired of feeling like a failure all the time, so I'll just give in. I'll just say yes. And then time passes, and now you can't say no. And now you are ruled by a new king. And maybe then it will dawn on you, I just traded one king for another. Consider this, the little king of insecurity. You want to be a Christian. But where you live and where you work and where you play, being a Christian is just frankly kind of weird. But I just don't want to feel weird all the time. And it plays on your insecurities. You're a little different, so they don't invite you to stuff. I think they just stop talking when I walk by. So you decide, forget it. I'm going to stop playing this game. Just forget about it. I'll just do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. I just want to be part of the group. 
And then before you realize it, your insecurity is now ruling you. And there is your new little king. And it comes up the same way. Here's some other little kings. Lust. Start. Hard to stop. Greed grows and gets stronger. Fear pervades every area. Comparison. There's always someone who's better. Family history. Let's just stop at this one for a moment. There are some of you, and your number one goal is simply to never, ever be like my dad. I'll never be like my mom. There is no way that my family now will ever look like my family of origin. History will never repeat itself. And then at some point along the way, you just kind of abandon God. And when a man or a woman intentionally or accidentally turns their back on Creator God, you can mark it down. Your family history will repeat itself. It will. You were made to be ruled not controlled. Your best bet for breaking the chain of your family history is not doing what you want, when you want, with whom you want. That's how the family history started that you're trying to undo. When you say, I'll never be like my dad, I'll never be like my mom, my family's going to be different than my family of origin. When you stay that and you think about that, when you study the question, what went wrong in that previous generation? Chances are pretty good that someone decided that they were going to do what they want, when they wanted, with whom they wanted, and nobody is going to tell them what to do. And if you do those same things in an effort to change the direction, chances are really, really good that history will, will repeat itself or it will get worse. And you know stories You know stories of how this is the way things have gone. And if there is a God who understands the power that forgiveness has to break the chains of the past, and if there is a God who wants something more for you, something better, that they want your kids and your grandkids to experience something entirely different than you ever had to, then why wouldn't you say yes to your creator God? Because if you say no to him, You're just saying yes to a different king. You see these little kings? You know these little kings? Do you know how they get us involved? Do you know how they recruit you to their kingdom? They tempt us with this idea. And it's a simple idea. It's very quick. And you'll know it. You'll hear it. You've seen it in yourself, but you've seen it in people around you. All they want you to do is just say, I won't. Come on, be your own man. Stop following along there. You, you're a woman of the future, not a woman of the past. Don't be cowed. Stand up for yourself. Say it loud and say it proud. I won't. I won't obey. I'm not going to be morally pure. I'm not going to tell the truth. I'm not going to live on a budget. I won't do what you say. I won't do what you want. I won't. I won't. I won't. And the little kings... The little kings say, yeah, say it again, say it louder, say it again, I won't. Say it with some more intensity like you really mean it. No, I won't. 
Repeat it. Say it again. Say it again. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. And you wake up and you find out that you started saying, I won't. But now you have to say, I can't. I can't stop. I can't get away. I can't get back out. I can't keep it under control. I can't change. I want to change. I so badly want to change, but I can't. I want to go back to the way it was before. I want to go back to the days when I had a clear conscience. I want to go back to those days when, when maybe other pe people didn't like me as much, but I liked me. I want to go back to those days when I was connected in a healthy community, where I was surrounded by people who were all going in the same direction, the direction that I always wanted to go. But I can't seem to get back there. Because the little kings, the little kings of lust and greed and anger, comparison and insecurity and fear and all kinds of other ones, they don't love you. They don't have your best interests in mind. And they tempt you with saying, just say you won't. Then one day you find out that now you can no longer stop. Why is this true? This statement we're going to put up, this, and this next statement here, why is this true? It's always easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the, the, king, the things that you substitute for God. It's not hard to say, God, I'm not doing that anymore. You know what? God, I'm leaving. God, I won't do what you say. God, I won't forgive her. Why is it always easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the things that you substitute for God? God, I know I shouldn't be seeing her on the side. God, I know I shouldn't be conducting myself that way. God, I know that I shouldn't let other people's opinion of me drive me to distraction, but I'm going to. It's easy to say no, God. But why is it that when you want out, that it's so much more difficult to say no to the things or the person that you have substituted for God than it was to say no to God? Why is it more difficult to say no to the created thing than it is to say no to the creator king? Well, I'll tell you why. The substitute kings are not merciful. The substitute kings do not love you. The substitute kings want to and will control you. The substitute kings will take away your freedom. And here's a lesson that we all will learn, either the easy way or the hard way. Maximum freedom is found under the canopy of God's authority. Maximum freedom is never found serving the little kings. And that's why it's easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the other kings. You have more freedom. Now, at the end of this little bit of the book of Judges, not the whole book, but just this starting bit, this little first piece of history, um, this is how it ends. We look at Judges chapter 3, verse 8. This is the end of that kind of first section. This is where we get to. They enter the land. They mess up. 
This is where they get to. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the, land, into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram Naharaim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. You were so glad that I didn't ask you to do that scripture reading. Right? You just try and say that. But God basically said, you like the Canaanite ways? They come with a Canaanite king. That's what their kingdom looks like. You like the ways? You remember we talked about in October? We talked about ways and steps. You like the ways? Here is the king that goes along with the ways that you like so much. You can't have both at the same time. The ways reflect a king. And for eight years, they suffered at the, man, the hands of a man whose culture that they had adopted by choice. They suffered under a king that they had chosen to worship. They suffered under him for eight years. And at the end of the eight years, they did what some of you did. At the end of eight years, they did what some of you might be ready to do. They did what some of you need to do. They threw up their hands and they said, Oh God, we have sinned. Oh God, we were fools. Oh God, we went for the very thing you warned us about. Oh God, we thought that in expressing our independence, somehow we would gain more freedom. We now realize that in trying to live our lives in autonomy, we didn't gain freedom. We gave it away. We've been conquered by the very king and culture that we copied. Oh God, great and mighty one, with one desire we come and we ask that once again you would reign over us. You would reign in us. Deliver us. We beg you. And God looked at them and God said, yes, because you are still my chosen ones. And one of the most amazing things about the Christian faith, faith that's illustrated through the history of the nation of Israel is that God is number one, a God of mercy. If you don't read that, then you're not reading it the right way. But he is so merciful that he will not force his way on you. He will let you choose. And do you know why you get to choose? He does not want to control you. If he wanted to control you, he would have created you as controlled. We didn't need that whole middle step. But God wants to love you. And God wants you to love him back. Something that the little kings have no understanding of. The only way that you can have a love relationship with God is for him to give you the freedom to go when you want to go. And to express the grace and the mercy that he would grant in order to receive you when you come back. Just as he took Israel back over and over and over again, he'll take you back over and over 
and over again. But this is where the pastor's heart in me comes out. Honestly, nothing gives me more joy. That gives us more joy than to celebrate the return of someone who has been freed from serving the little kings. But the tragedy is, you can't get your 20s back. You can't get your 30s back. You will never be able to reparent your children. You can't have a first marriage again. Those years, those experiences, once they're gone, they're gone. And they were wasted serving the little kings who care not about you or your future. And in our attempt to do what we want, when we want, with whom we want, we simply trade one king for another. God, speak to us today. Hear us for those of us who need to cry out again today and say, God, we want you to reign. I'm tired of the way these other kings run their kingdom. They're mean to me all the time. I thought I was getting what I wanted, but what I really want is for you to come back to be in charge, to rule in my life, to set me on the path that leads to everlasting life. To set me on a path that can lead to hope and to freedom, to acceptance. I just need to be loved by you. Speak to my friends here this morning who are in this place where they are deciding whether or not, whether or not they will submit to you as king, or whether they will keep serving someone else. Guide us forward, we pray in Jesus' name. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. The more we connect, the better it gets. So thank you. Thank you again for being with us here this Sunday, for celebrating for remembering, and for refocusing. And as we go out, I want to remind you that we are Christ-centered. We are spirit-empowered, and we are mission-focused. And we are to be on mission, every one of us, everywhere, all the time.